Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today on the For the Bible Tells Me So podcast. My name is Riley. If this is your first time joining in with us, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, You're jumping into a series with us called Blessings Behind Bars. Blessings Behind Bars. Because we're looking at a letter together. This is the letter or the book of Philippians. And this was written under unusual circumstances. It was written by the Apostle Paul to the Philippian church, but not just from the bedroom of Paul to the church of Philippi. It was written from Paul while he was behind bars, while he was in a prison cell, to a church that was persecuted and being threatened with their very lives. And so what we're seeing in this book is that, you know, typically like you would look at something that was written from somebody in prison, and maybe you think, man, this is going to be full of anger, sadness, grief. But what we'll see in this book is that there's actually joy, there's blessings, there's this sense of hope because Paul and the church had a great hope in Jesus. They knew that their faith was secured, their eternities were destined, and that God had a plan for everything that they were going through. So what we're going to look at right now is one really big word that Paul's going to use throughout this letter. And honestly, in a lot of his books in the New Testament, it's this word grace. Now, grace simply means a gift. The Greek word is charis, and it just means a gift. But in the Christian context, the fullest revelation of grace comes from looking at the example of Jesus. What did Jesus give to mankind during his ministry? Well, Jesus gave the the biggest grace that we could ever ask for. He saw us in our sin, in depravity, and chose to make a way for us to be renewed and brought back to life so that we could be restored and brought into relationship with God the Father. Jesus gives us the fullest example of grace, and now as he has entered our lives as Christians, as the Spirit is illuminating our actions we're then able to give grace to the people around us. And so now, Paul and the Philippian church are giving grace to one another, loving each other, supporting each other. And what we'll see tonight is that they are on Team Grace together. Team Grace. Check out what it says in Philippians 1.7. This is the verse I'm going to be talking about for this episode. Paul says this, It is right for me, to feel this way about you all to the Philippian church because I hold you in my heart for you are all, take take note of this, partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So lots to unpack here. Let's jump right in. Now, grace is a word that feels very Christian, right? We don't really say this a whole lot just in kind of normal American society and culture, unless maybe your name is grace. I feel like I hear it more of a name than I do even a word or a verb. But in scripture, grace is all over this book. There are gifts from God the Father to his people. There are gifts from Jesus to his followers. There are gifts from the Spirit to those who believe and have faith. And today, I believe that 
Paul is going to be speaking about grace in such a powerful, uplifting kind of way because he is talking about teamwork on a grace level. And there's really two things I want us to see from this one verse in Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. The first thing is this. Team grace suffers together and wins together. I'm going to read this verse one more time for you. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. Partakers with me of grace. This is the team that Paul was on. Paul looked at the church and said that whatever he goes through, they will all go through together. Like Paul's wins were not just his wins. It was the church's wins. The church's losses, their failures. That was Paul's failures and losses as well. Whenever one person experienced joy, the church could experience joy alongside of them. This was a team effort. The idea of doing just individual Christianity was not in like the vocabulary of Paul and the church. This was all shared grace. Your win is my win. My loss is your loss. When one member of the body is hurting, is aching, then the whole body aches. When the body is healthy and good, then all members are healthy and good. Paul looks at the church here and says, man, I love you guys so much. I'm so joyful when I think about you. You're in all my prayers. That's what we looked at last week um, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And now he says, it's good for me to feel this way because, man, we're all just partaking in this grace that God has given us together. And not only has he given us grace for our lives, like not only have we been rescued from our sin and brought into relationship with God the Father, but we now share grace with one another. We all give love. We all give support. We are all training and thriving and surviving together on team grace. Now, I remember when I was younger, I had a buddy of mine who I grew up with, and we used to ride skateboards together, and uh, we used to play Legos together, and I remember when it was his birthday, I was always so excited about his birthday because he was one of these guys who always had the best toys. I remember one time, we went over to his house for his birthday, and my family brought a Lego set to his house, and we were super excited because we knew that we were all going to be able to play with this Lego set. So we brought it over. He opened the gift. He was pumped. It was awesome. And we were all really stoked. And then his mom comes out, okay? And his mom looks at me and my brother and says, hey, thank you so much for giving your friend these gifts. But we also wanted to give you a gift. And so my friend's mom pulls out two big Lego sets, like, each one by itself was bigger than the one that we had given to my friend. And it was his birthday, and she pulled them out and gave them to me and my brother. So what was happening was that it was his birthday, we gave him a present, but me and my brother, it wasn't our birthdays, but we received even greater gifts because it was my buddy's birthday. I realized very quickly that his wins were my wins. His birthday was my birthdays. The following year, you know, we went out, we were gonna go to the skate park together for his birthday. And, you know, as we were going to the skate park, we went to a skate shop. 
and my buddy got to get a new skateboard. His mom's like, look at the wall, grab whatever board you want. And we're like, man, you're so lucky to have a mom who's gonna buy you a new skateboard. And then she looked at us, and you know how this story is gonna go, right? She says, hey, Riley and Mike, you look up at the skateboards too. Whatever one you want, we're gonna get it for you today. Because it's Nico's birthday, we're gonna get you skateboards as well. And I was like, this is unreal. Like, I don't know if I'm like jipping the system or not right now, but in my brain, I shouldn't be getting anything. But because it's my friend's birthday, I'm actually getting something too. So whenever it became his birthday, I get so excited because I knew, man, when, when it's the party for you, it's the party for me. And this is what it's like to be a partaker of grace with your church family. When one person is succeeding, we get to actually receive that joy for ourselves because we are on the same team together. When one person is hurting, we hurt alongside of them as well. Now, in America at least, we live in a very individualistic society where our faith, you know, Christians around the country talk about our faith in a very individualized kind of way, that your faith is primarily between you and God, between you and Jesus, and your sin is between you and God and you and Jesus. We've kind of lost in America a bit of the sense of like group wins, group suffering, group joy. But in the early church, this was just like totally understood that you're just experiencing life together and you're suffering with one another and you're having joy with one another. This is what it's like in the church. And you know, I feel like I've been thinking about this a lot recently, like maybe why um, a lot of us, when we come to church, we are gathering with people, but we don't really feel like we're going deep into community with one another. We don't really feel like we're going into team grace with one another. We still feel like, man, like my sins, my baggage, my faith is just between really me and God the Father, me and Jesus. And, you know, I have friendships with people in the church, but I don't really feel like I'm on the same team as them. They might have some things going on in their lives, but I don't really know about it. And that's okay because we're all just hanging out and worshiping together. I've been thinking about why is it that we don't really feel like we're on the same team together a lot of times? Why does it feel like we're not really a part of the family together? I feel like there's two big reasons that, you know, the Spirit was kind of speaking to me, and I wonder if this would resonate with you too. One is that we believe that other people's problems would crush us. We believe that their problems would crush us. You know, the Philippian church looked at what Paul was going through, and rather than ignoring him, shutting him out, they actually took his problems as their own problems, and they sent people to Paul in prison to give him money and food and to support him throughout this time that he had in prison. It wasn't like Paul's just gone, and now the Philippian church just has no connection anymore. It's not like there was a division between Paul's life and the Philippian church's life. They were still doing things together. They were still sharing that suffering together. But I feel like in kind of modern day church, we may feel like if I took on the burdens of one person next to me, that would be too much for me. That would be crushing to my spirit and to my life. And I feel like this is one of the greatest tragedies of the modern 
church, that we won't suffer together because we believe that people's problems are too big for us. You know, as I look at scripture, as I look at the word of God, I am super comforted knowing that Jesus has extended a way of life for us where we can look at problems head on. We can receive them on ourselves. We can, uh, in a sense, absorb them. And then through prayer, we can redistribute those problems back to God, placing them right before him. And And that Jesus, by the power and might of who he is, he takes those problems and he, he exchanges them for rest. He says, put my yoke on yourself. My yoke is easy. My yoke is light. My burden is light for you. I say that because I think that a lot of times in the Christian church, I know I've been here, so I'll just speak for myself. If I sometimes will hear somebody's problems, I almost just feel like I can't take it. Like if I hear another problem, if I hear another issue, I don't know how I'm going to sleep at night. I don't know how I'm going to get through the rest of the day. I've got enough stuff to worry about in my own life. But what I found in my life is that when I get to that place of thinking, man, I can't hear another bad thing, that's revealing a place of weakness in my faith. Because here's what I'm thinking. Take note of this. When I say that I can't receive another person's problem or burden, what I'm saying is that God is not good enough to take this upon himself. What I'm saying is that I can't receive this and give this back to God and really and really receive rest. I'm just going to take it on. It's just going to weigh me down and maybe God will intervene, but I don't know. And that is the totally wrong way to approach difficulty in our lives and in our friends' lives. Jesus has made a way for us to receive, to absorb the problems and the cares of this world and to give them back to him in prayer and to receive love and peace and rest from God the Father, knowing that the one that we're praying to is the God who sees all things and has a plan to work out all things for his good, for those who believe and trust in Jesus. So I want to encourage you right now, if when you're going to, you know, our young adult Bible studies, if you're going to church, if you're going to a small group and you feel like, man, you want to get to know some people, but you don't want anybody to get too vulnerable with you because you're afraid of what it might do to your own spirit. You already got enough going on. I just want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to get on your knees before God and to confess your anxieties and your cares and your burdens to God. And even more than that, I want to encourage you to look at the character and nature of Jesus, the one that you're praying to. Think about who you are praying to. You're talking to the God of the universe. You're talking to the God who brought all things into subjection under his feet. You're talking to the God who has created, seen, and has dominion over all things. He knows what you're going through. All he's asking for is for you to bring those cares to him, and he will give you rest. He's the God of all comfort so that we can then comfort others, as Paul would say in in 2 Corinthians. But oftentimes we don't really dive deep into teen grace because we don't want to suffer together. We don't want to have people's problems on us because we believe that they'll crush us. But Jesus has shown us that they don't have to crush us. Actually, Jesus went to the cross 
and allowed all the pain and pressure and anxiety and sin and darkness to crush his body so that we could actually live free and live without all of that on our shoulders. Don't be afraid of people's problems. Instead, receive them and bring them to the feet of Jesus. We oftentimes believe that problems will crush us, but God's made a way for them to not crush us. I feel like one other reason why sometimes we don't dive deep into this team grace is because we believe that people's perspectives would crush us. Not only their problems, but their perspectives. Maybe you've gone to a church group or a small group and you know maybe there's something in your life that you feel like you can't share with someone because you don't know how they're going to react. There's a part of you, there's an identity around you that you can't share or expose because you're just like, man, I don't think anybody's going to receive me. Maybe you've actually you know, presented some of your sin to someone before or a particular struggle or something you're identifying with. And as you shared that, you didn't receive grace in return. You received condemnation. Somebody got mad at you. Somebody threatened you. And now you're just scared to even be yourself. You feel like you have to put a mask on because you don't know what the community of God's going to do for you. And I would just really encourage you to first confess those sins to God. Confess that, that self to God. Allow him to see who you are. Let him speak and minister to you. Go deep in relationship with him because God will never turn away from who you are. In fact, he knows exactly who you are right now before you've even said anything to him. He knows exactly who you are and he still extends the invitation to come home and to be with him. He's a good father who loves and welcomes everyone who is willing to come to him. Now, there are some times when you're going to come into the church family and people will not receive you in a way that is full of grace. Maybe people would get mad, tell you that you do have to change right away, won't let you belong before you believe. And look, we're all people. We're all broken to a degree. We're all trying to figure out how to do this life with Jesus. And what I want to encourage you to do, and this may be a big step for you, but I want to encourage you to continue to be vulnerable with your church community as you've established some trust and a relationship with some people. Go to them, confess your heart, and then I just want to encourage you by the power of God to extend grace to those who you're going to be speaking to. Because the truth is that not everybody is going to receive you with welcome and open arms. But what you can do in your own heart is you can present your life and then extend grace. You can say, no matter what you say to me right now, I'm still going to love you because you and I are in the family of God together. We are on the same team. And you may not understand me yet, but I'm going to continue to bring my life to you dive into relationship, and together we're going to work out what this looks like in our lives. I always encourage you to do that today. Extend grace to those who don't understand you. That may feel like a tall order. That may feel like you can't do that. But man, this is the opportunity you have to jump into relationship with the people of God, to go deeper into relationship, and to extend grace in a way 
that you've never done before. We sometimes believe that people's problems or their perspectives are going to crush us. But I want to encourage you, man, God has made a way for you to move forward where you can absorb problems and you can extend grace. You are on the team if you believe in Jesus. Dive into the teamwork. Go forward in the goal to advance the kingdom of God with one another by extending love and grace to each other. Will you be a Paul in your home? Will you be a Paul in your church family? Will you be a Paul in your life group? Will you be someone who looks at the people in your church, in your family, in your life group and says, look, you are going to be partakers with me of this grace. God has given me grace. He has saved me from my sins. I'm bringing you into that as well so you can receive the same grace that God has given to me. I want him to give it to you. And aside from that, or in addition to that, we're going to give grace to each other. Will you be the one who kind of initiates that in the relationships in your life? I really encourage you to do that. That is where the juice of life really comes from, these gifts of love to one another. So Team Grace suffers together, wins together, gives grace to each other, and receives what each other is going through for themselves. But secondly is this, Team Grace thrives on the struggle. Team Grace thrives on the struggle. What Paul says here in Philippians 1 verse 7 is that you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. What is Paul saying here? He's saying that even while he was in prison, he was actually able to experience freedom. Even when he was in the fight for the gospel, he was able to experience rest in the presence of Jesus. Why? Because God's grace rushed into Paul's life in the moments of struggle. Paul didn't see his imprisonment or his defense and confirmation of the gospel as necessarily just hardships only, although I'm sure they were really difficult for him to keep up the fight and to work through his time in prison, but he just saw this as a time for him to experience grace on a whole new level, and not just for himself, but for the church in Philippi to experience grace as well because they're on the same team, okay? They were all partaking in this grace together. But this is amazing that in the struggle, Paul believed that God was giving grace to experience joy. God was taking Paul from what normally would look like kind of the bottom part of life, rock bottom, and through grace taking him to a level of spiritual maturity and joy unlike anything else. This is all grace. And this is a huge part of what grace is, that God would see us in our depravity and lift us into life and joy. You know, I think about um, years ago, um, I used to go to a lot of concerts, okay? I used to go to a lot of hardcore punk shows. This is your pastor talking right now. Just the guy who would be running around, jumping off stages, singing into microphones, the whole thing, okay? And uh, I'm a little guy. Like, if you haven't met me, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen me, I'm, I'm a bit smaller. 
And uh, when I was going to concerts, I was even smaller. I was usually like one of the smallest guys at these shows. But I usually had enough oomph to grab somebody's shoulders and thrust myself like up over their shoulders to get onto a platform or stage or something like that. And one of my favorite things to do was to jump off stages, crowd surf, stage dive, whatever you want to call it, okay? And uh, I remember one time I went to this concert one of my favorite bands was playing and uh, I wanted to get up on the platform to sing my favorite part of a song. So there are just like so many dudes in this venue and they're all sweaty. Like every single person at these punk concerts is just so sweaty. And uh, they're all pressing in against me. We're all trying to get onto the platform. I remember trying to grab somebody's shoulders and I kept slipping, okay? I, I was like trying to push myself up, but these guys are slippery. They're all sweaty. And so I could not get enough like traction to push myself up and to jump up there. But I kept trying. I kind of was starting to fall down. And just when I felt like I was never going to be able to get up there, I felt something that I never felt before. I felt these two large man hands on my hips grabbing me from behind, which is a little bit troubling when you just hear it like that. But promising, it gets better. They, they grabbed me and thrust, like, threw me up over the crowd in front of me onto the platform. This must have been like some macho dude just who looked at me and said, this guy is just gonna be like a little paperweight and just threw me up onto the platform. And I felt like later that night when I was driving home, I was reflecting on that moment because it was so crazy. I was like, wow, I went from the floor to the stage and I didn't do anything. Somebody just threw me up there. I remember thinking, wow, that's a picture of grace. That's really a picture of grace because where I was and where I wanted to get to, I could not get there on my own. I could not get up on that platform no matter what I did, no matter what I tried. But out of the kindness of this person's heart, they extended grace to me as this little gift of a boost from the floor to the platform. And I got to experience something that I would not have been able to experience otherwise. This is grace, the silly example, but this is what grace is. This is what God has done for you and for me through his son, Jesus. God has seen us in our sin. He saw us as not being able to make ourselves righteous so that we can enter into the holy presence of God the Father. But to remedy that, God sent his son, Jesus, to die a a death on a cross to offer his perfect blood as a perfect sacrifice that would wash away our sins and that by faith we could then trust in Jesus and then through Jesus experience relationship with God. It is just the most wild, incredible gift that we could ever expect or imagine. But this is what God has done for you and for me in our suffering in our weakness, in our death, God has brought healing, redemption, and life through his son, Jesus. This is grace. You can't be picked up unless you've fallen down. You can't be healed unless you've been sick. You can't have your ears opened unless you've been deaf. You can't have your eyes opened unless you've been blind. Grace only happens because of our depravity. And God in his goodness has given us a grace unlike any other 
grace or gift that we could imagine. He has given us the ultimate example of it through Jesus, winning our souls for himself. This is what God does. And this is why for us as Christians, we can actually thrive in the struggle of life. This is what we're talking about when we can go through the valley with God, when we can go through the suffering with God. Why we say that is because it's in those moments of weakness, it's in those moments of knowing I just I can't do it myself, where God pours out his grace in such a powerful and mighty way. If we go through life feeling like, man, I got this all under control, I got this thing dialed in, I'm tight by myself, we are resisting the grace of God, which is, um, I mean, the, the goodness that we can bring in our lives is so much less than what God has intended for our lives. God is asking us, man, just recognize, like, open up your eyes to where you're at. Recognize that, man, I have written my law on your heart. You know, you feel bad when you sin in that way. You feel wrong when you do that thing, when you say that thing, when you look at that person. You know you feel bad. You know that, I mean, your conscience is telling you that you're making these wrong decisions. You're trying to justify, but you're making these wrong decisions and it's breaking your heart. It's tearing you apart as a human being. Just open up your eyes and just recognize that you have sinned, you have fallen. God is asking us just to, just to recognize that. And as we recognize that, and say, man, God, I, I need help. I can't bring joy into my life. I can't make myself right. I can't bring about the change and transformation that I really need in this life. I need help. I need you. Literally, that is all God is looking for. In that acknowledgement, in that question, in that pursuit of asking God just to come into your life, to be the king of your decisions, to be the one who really transforms you and brings life into you. That's all God's looking for, just for you to look to him. And man, the promises of scripture that as you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, as you confess your sins to him, all, that's all you have to do is bring yourself to him, bring that acknowledgement of his goodness back to him. He will rush into your life with grace. He will, in that moment of you presenting yourself to him, bring about transformation. There's this process that happens when you give yourself to God in that way, when you recognize your depravity, say, God, I need you. God rushes in, brings about a new heart in you, a new life in you. What we call it in scripture in the Christian faith is that you have been born again. What happens in that moment is that you have died to your sins. You have died to that old way of life. And by the Spirit regenerating you, you have now become a new person in the family of God. You've been born into a new hope. You've been adopted into the family. These are the promises of scripture. This is what God has offered to you, but we cannot receive these great gifts unless we first recognize that, man, I struggle and I need help. I'm broken and I need fixing. 
I am dead and I need life. This is where God wants to meet you in your life. Don't be afraid to confess your sins to God, to confess your need to Him. All we're doing by not confessing is just stifling what God wants to pour out into your life. He wants to give you good gifts of love and mercy and joy. But will you be willing to accept it? It, The heart of accepting what God has given to you is at its core just recognizing that you're broken and you need him. And so my encouragement is this. Look, if you're in a place right now where you haven't given your life to God, maybe you feel like, man, I've made my life work good enough without God, so why do I really need him? I want to tell you this, that what you believe is good and acceptable in your life is just a mere shadow of what God truly wants to do and bring into your life. As you confess your sin to God, he wants to bring about transformation in a way that you can never expect. He wants to take you into new levels of leadership. He wants to take you deeper into relationships. He wants to use you as a force of love and hope in this world. You may feel like you've just been able to get through life and you've been able to make a paycheck and you've been able to maintain relationships. God wants to use you to bring about new jobs. He wants to be able to use you to bring about new relationships. He wants to use you to counsel people into health. He wants to use you as someone who can pour life into broken people. That's what God's trying to bring you into. But not just that. God is trying to bring you into a pure devotion to Jesus the King. God elevated Jesus when he rose him by the Spirit of God from the dead. As he lifted Jesus up into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father, God the Father was just blowing up the reputation of Jesus in the most powerful way. And he's just calling you to recognize Jesus in that way. As we recognize Jesus in that way, as our King, our lives will be transformed and they will never be the same. You may be feeling like in your life that you are missing grace. You are missing out on what God truly has for you. And the truth of the matter is this, that God is not holding back a single thing from you. Oftentimes what we do is we resist the love and the grace of God because we won't come before God and acknowledge that we have issues, that we have problems, and that we truly do need Him. And why do we do that? Because oftentimes we don't want to change. We don't want to go through the hardship of bringing our sin before God. But let me just encourage you with this, that God will meet you in every moment of confession. He will meet you as you bring yourself before Him. He loves you and He cherishes your life. He sent His Son Jesus to die for you, to bring you into relationship. You are not excluded from what God had intended for mankind to be brought into relationship with God. You are not excluded. You were thought about. You have been considered and considered worthy to be brought into relationship. 
I'm telling you, God desires relationship with you. Do not resist his grace any longer. Do not resist going through the hardship of confessing your sin and your problems because, man, as you do so, there is joy and peace and reconciliation on the other side. God loves you. Do not resist. Instead, open up your heart to what he wants to do. Join Team Grace. And I promise your life will never be the same. You guys, I love you. God is all about you. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time. Thanks for being here today. Come back next Tuesday for a new episode here of the For the Bible Tells Me So podcast. Check the show notes for info about following and interacting with the young adult ministry throughout the week during Shelter in Place. We hope to see you soon.